Well, good morning. It's finally here. It's Christmas time, all right? I am so excited that it is Christmas time. You know that this is one of my favorite seasons. Uh, before we start, I just want you to admire this Christmas tree that I did not decorate. I did not. Kim Harden decorated that for us, and she did an excellent job. So uh, give her a round of applause. Thanks for doing that for us. Now, I know some of you in here uh, just, I don't you know, just started decorating for Christmas because you celebrate Thanksgiving first, you know, and I can respect that. Um, some of you are like me. Uh, November 1st, you had five trees up in your house and Christmas lights on the exterior, okay? Don't judge me, all right, because there is a group here that needs to be judged. It's those of you that just turned on your Christmas lights because they're still on your house from last year, okay? <laughs> you know who you are. If that is you... Not acceptable, okay? It's not acceptable. Uh, we love decorating for Christmas around our house. One of my favorite things is uh, to decorate on the inside uh, is this nativity scene that we have. Uh, it is a willow tree nativity scene, and uh, I love that thing. I love putting it out and displaying that. Uh, we got that over a number of years when Amanda and I first got married because apparently when you make wood figures with no faces, you can charge whatever you want for them. And so... It took us a while, but we got it all, and, uh, and then we had Taylor, and Taylor saw the nativity set as a toy, uh, and that doesn't really work out when you have a ceramic camel among, amongst the rest of the animals, and uh, it has a little, a little chain at the top, and so at some point, he just yanked, and the camel went, and so uh, our camel has a glued together rear end, okay? Might be missing a little bit of it. There's a little hole there because I couldn't fit all the little itty bitty pieces back together. But, uh, but we, we realized quickly that we're going to have to get Taylor a manger scene that he could play with. Um, and so we went with none other than the VeggieTales nativity set. Not only was it cute, but it was colorful. And most of all, it was plastic. Okay. There was no way to destroy that nativity set. Um, and so here it is. Uh, but as I, as I got this nativity set, I started to think through um, some of the creative liberties that were taken with the nativity set, okay? Not to mention that they're all vegetables, okay? Let's just state the obvious. But I thought this morning what I would do is, is run you through some questions about your nativity set that you can see if whether or not there are some creative liberties or if it's legit, okay? So uh, the first question I have for you is, does your nativity set have a little drummer boy, Okay. Because this one does. I don't know if you see the, I think it's a, what is that, honey? Asparagus? The asparagus with a little drum at his side right here on the left, you know? He's cute, but uh, that's creative liberty, okay? There was no little drummer boy. I love this song too, especially for King and Country's version. But there was no little drummer boy the night that Jesus was born. He just wasn't there. So if yours has that, creative liberty, Okay. Uh, this is the next set, the one I was just speaking of, is our willow tree set. And so I want to ask you, does your nativity have lots of animals? Ours does, as you can see. In fact, you could even buy extra packs of animals for your willow tree for $79.90. I'm just kidding. Uh, it felt like that, okay? But the thing is, it's a little bit of a creative liberty. Because if you read the account of Jesus' birth, nowhere are we really told that there are animals surrounding Jesus. Now, it says that he was born and placed into a, uh, a manger, right? And, and we know that that is a feeding trough often for animals, but there's not really anywhere that it says that cattle actually were lowing, whatever that means, okay? Like, that, that's that creative liberty, all right? So I'll show you our third nativity set in our household. We've got lots of them. 
Uh, this is a countdown, okay? And so my question is, does your nativity set have an angel above the nativity set as some place amongst it? You can see ours. It's actually the first thing, as the instructions suggest, be placed on the magnet board. You take one thing out each day, add to the manger scene, and then it just fills up by the time you've got Christmas Day, you have the full nativity set. But you see the little angel right up there. Uh, scripture does not tell us that the angel was present when Jesus was born. It does say that an angel showed up to the shepherds, announced his birth, and then the shepherds went to see Jesus. But it does not tell us that, that the angel went with the shepherds. Also a creative liberty. So uh, now that I have busted your bubble uh, and you're thinking about the nativity and what you know from Scripture, let me go one step further. Uh, there were three men that showed up on a lot of your nativities that are off to the side trying to catch a peek of Jesus. They were also not there the night that Jesus was born, okay? Let's take that in for a second. Uh, they were not there. If you have a nativity set at home and you have these three men, we call them wise men. They were known as the Magi. You can take them and place them across your living room because that's where they belong. They're not there yet, Okay. They're not, so put them in the kitchen, okay? They'll be there eventually. You can move them along if you want to, but not there. They're not there, okay? I'm gonna explain some more about that in a minute, but what I thought we would do this morning is just take a look. We retitled this series, The Perfect Gift. Why do we call it The Perfect Gift? Because these three wise men, these magi that we're talking about, um, they brought three gifts that were each in themselves the perfect gift for Jesus, uh, each week, we're going to take a look at one of those three gifts. And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to look at how Jesus was the perfect gift for you and I. And we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit. But today, we're obviously, we're going to start with gift number one. That is the gift of gold. Um, what does the gift of gold mean? Why did they bring gold? So if you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and open up with me to Matthew chapter two. I want you to understand that each of these gifts that was given were very intentional um, it's not like these wise men stopped by Bucky's, bought three things, and then showed up at the manger scene with whatever Bucky sells, okay? These are very intentional, purposeful, um, and each of them say something about Jesus that we need to understand uh, fully from the second that he was born. It was intended for his life, all right? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 says this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went on their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem, and went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. 
They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's how the story is told. These three men supernaturally are led to the place of Jesus and where he is currently, right? And supernaturally, they're told to give three specific gifts. And they come and they open up these treasure chests. And one of these gifts is the gift of gold. And it seems pretty extravagant to give a child a gift of gold. And yet what I want to do today is take a quick little history lesson through the Old Testament of where we see gold and why it's used, because it would help us understand a little bit better as to why these wise men showed up with gold. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to flip a little bit this morning. So jump back to Exodus, second book of the Bible, chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32, we see one of the first uses of gold. I might be wrong in 32. I might need to go back further. Let me see here. Yep, I'm wrong. Go back to Exodus 25. We'll come to 32 next, all right? Exodus 25. In Exodus 25, we see what's taking place is there's plans that are being given. God's giving these plans for the Ark of the Covenant. And in verse 10, he says this, have the people make the Ark of Acacia wood, a sacred chest, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it inside and out with pure gold and run a molding of gold all around it. Cast four rings of gold and attach them to its four feet, two rings on each side. Make poles from acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to carry it. These carrying poles must stay inside the rings, never to be removed. And when the ark is finished, place, it in, place inside of it the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I will give you. Then make the ark cover and place uh, the place of atonement from pure gold. It must be 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Then make two cherubim from the hammered gold and place them on the two ends of the atonement cover. Mold the cherubim on each end of the atonement cover, making it all one piece of gold. The cherubim will face each other and look down on the atonement cover and with their wings spread above it, they will protect it. Inside, place, uh, inside the ark, uh, excuse me, place inside the ark, the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, which I'll give you. Then put the atonement cover on top of the ark. I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover between the gold cherubim that hover over the ark of the covenant. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. So we see what's happening. God is, is ordering the ark of the covenant to be built. He's explaining uh, what he wants it to be made of. He's using wood that's overlain with gold. The whole thing is gold. It appears to be gold to your eye. Why? Because God, that is the place where God is going to meet with the people to give them instruction, uh, to tell them what it is he wants them to do and what is placed inside. Inside of the stone tablets, it's the covenant. It's the agreement between them and between their God that they will serve him, that he will be their one and only king. And so he says here, overlay this, make this this way exactly made complete of gold. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't take long for God's people uh, to mess that up. So now flip over to chapter 32 in Exodus. We know the story that as they head into the promised land, Moses heads up onto um, 
the mountain to meet with God for 40 days, 40 nights. <clears throat> and while he's there, uh, the people get restless, right? And they know what gold means. And so uh, they end up doing something very foolish. They break the first commandment of the 10. Chapter 32, verse one. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from your ears, from your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. All the people told, took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. And when the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So it doesn't take long for them to realize, you know what? Gold signifies something that is worthy of being worshipped. And Moses has taken so stinking long up on that mountain. We're just going to create our own God to follow. And so they gather up uh, the gold. As Aaron says it, he had fell into the fire. Uh, but we know that he actually put it in the fire and brought out and molded into a, a false God. And they begin to worship this false God. Why? Because gold signifies something that is worthy or worth being worshipped from the very beginning of when we see gold. All right, so let's keep moving. There's a connection. Go to 1 Kings chapter uh, 6. 1 Kings chapter 6. Because now what's happened is the people have established themselves uh, in the promised land. Solomon has become uh, king and Solomon is told to build the temple for God. And so he does. And as he does, this is some of the things that he does. So Solomon finished, this is verse 14, 1 Kings chapter 6, sorry. So Solomon finished building the temple. The entire inside from floor to ceiling was paneled with wood. He paneled the walls and the ceilings with cedar. He used planks of cypress for the floors. He parishioned off the inner sanctuary, the most holy place at the far end of the temple. It was 30 feet deep and was paneled with cedar from floor to ceiling. The main room of the temple outside the most holy place was 60 feet long. Cedar paneling completely covered the stone walls throughout the temple. And the paneling was decorated with carvings of gourds and open flowers. He prepared the inner sanctuary at the far end of the temple where the Ark of the Lord's Covenant would be placed. This inner sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He overlaid the inside with solid gold. He also overlaid the altar made of cedar. Then Solomon overlaid the rest of the temple's interior with solid gold, and he made gold chains to protect the entrance to the most holy place. So he finished overlaying the entire temple with gold, including the altar that belonged to the most holy place. So again, what do we see? We see Solomon taking the place where God is going to meet with them, the place where he's going to be housed, and he overlays the whole stinking thing in gold. Why? Because gold, again, is a place, is a metal of the king's. It's intended to signify that this is somebody who's worth worshiping, the most holy of holies. Uh, man, I would love to just teach on that because it's so much fun to teach on. But like that was the place where the priest went once a year to offer atonement for the entire nation of Israel. Um, and it was, it's complete gold. Why? Because it's where God's presence is. It's where he resides. It, it, it is a signifier of something that's worthy of being worshiped, worth submitting to, and humility. All right, so flip four chapters later, 1 Kings chapter 10. 
Solomon's fame begins to spread because he's built this temple, restored God's home, a place for him to be. Um, and the queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. Now, there's, she has some deceptive reasons for coming, but we're not going to get into that today. Verse 10 says this. Then she, the queen of Sheba, gave the king, King Solomon, a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great, great quantities of spices and precious jewels. You see, at this point, it has been determined that when you come into the presence of a king, you come with a gift of gold. 9,000 pounds to be exact, if you're the queen of Sheba. I'm not sure everybody brought 9,000 pounds. But like when you entered into the presence of a king, that is what you were supposed to bring. Why? Because again, it signifies this idea that hey, you are worth following. You are worth uh, worshiping. And so the queen of Sheba brings this on behalf of her and her people. And then the last passage we'll go to, Daniel chapter 2. You're going to have to flip a little bit further into your Bibles for Daniel chapter 2. But Daniel chapter 2, we see now King Nebuchadnezzar is ruling. He has this dream that he can't interpret. Nobody can interpret for him, but Daniel can. Daniel interprets it, and it's not a kind of dream that you probably want as a king. Uh, To be honest with you, it's a bad dream. It's a dream that basically says that his kingdom is going to come to an end. But in the midst of the dream, Daniel says this to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 38, chapter 2. He has made you the ruler over the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. You are the head of of gold. You are the head of gold. Why would he say something like that? Because he, Babylon was known as the place of gold. In fact, Isaiah calls it the golden city because there was so much gold that was contained in Babylon. And so he is the king who is over gold. And so he, but then the, the rest of the dream is that like, listen, your kingdom is going to come to an end. In the next kingdom, it's going to come to an end. In the next kingdom, it's gonna, like, it's like doom and gloom dream. And Daniel interprets it. And what does King Neb do with it? He goes out and builds himself a 90 foot by nine foot pure solid gold statue of himself. A little arrogant, right? Because he wanted to establish his kingdom's never gonna come to an end. Well, he's defying God in that moment and that's not gonna work out for him, right? But the fact is what? That gold was this signifier of Something worth being worshipped of the kings. It was the, the medal of kings. Babylon was in Persia. Persia uh, was east of where Jesus was born. And when we hear that the Magi, back to our story, when you hear that the Magi, uh, these wise men were from the east, uh, a lot of theologians would say they came from the area surrounding Babylon. So it's no surprise that when they show up, they show up with what? With gold. Right? There's a connection as you walk through scripture with gold in this kingdom and now to this point where we have the Magi show up with this gold. These men, they, were, uh, they had knowledge and philosophy, astrology. It's why they're following the star. Like they knew where they were going. They were considered to be kingmakers. Like a, a, a council of Persian Magi would get together and and. F- through philosophy, study of the word, astrology, they would determine when the next and who the next king would be. So, so when we go back to our story in Matthew chapter two, 
I want you to notice this because I, I didn't realize this until I was studying this week and I've studied this story so many times. They head to ultimately where they want to be, right? This Roman occupied Jerusalem and they go and they present themselves before King Herod. Why? Because they don't want to see, be seen as spies. They want, them, they want King Herod to know, hey, we're coming uh, as an act of just visiting. There's no ill deceit in this. But what happens when they come before the king? They don't offer King Herod gold. Wait a second. I just established when you enter the presence of a king, you have to give the gift of gold, right? So why do they not give Herod the, the, the gold? Because he ain't the king no more, right? Because there's a new king. There's a, a greater king. And this is what I want you to see this morning, that Jesus, he, he, he did not become a king. He was born the king. He was born the king. And so when the Magi show up and they sit before Herod, they're like, this, we're, just, we're just playing the game for you, buddy. Your time's over with at this point. And you can tell he feels that. Why? Because he starts to panic. Where is he supposed to be born? Shouldn't King Herod know that? And yet what happens? He's not. And, and who do they do, present the gold to? They ultimately present the gold to a child. This is what I want you to see from verse 11. We learned so much from verse 11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There's three things I want you to see here. First, uh, to point back to uh, my nativity being uh, a little bit off, right? They entered a house. The word here isn't uh, a stable. The word here isn't like a cave. This word is established home. Okay, so at this point, they're no longer in a holding place because they couldn't find anywhere to stay. They're in a, a house. Second, they says, it says that they saw the child with his mother, Mary. That word child in the original language would mean someone around the age of one to two years old. So Jesus is no longer a newborn infant. He's a child, Right? And then what do they do? They, they see this child and upon seeing this child, they open up all these gifts and these gifts are extravagant. They're, they're crazy, right? And what do they do? They bow down and worship him. I don't know if you've ever been around one to two year olds. <laughs> like if I went back to the two year olds room and bowed down to one of them and worship, they probably hit me over the head with a toy. Okay, like, I, what did this scene look like? Was Mary holding Jesus? And as they bowed down, they bowed down at Mary's feet. Like, I, was Jesus just standing there? Like, you know how, you know, two-year-olds will stand sometimes in the middle of a room of tons of people and they're just like stare, you know? Like, was he doing that? Like, what was he doing in this moment? When these magi, these wise men, these king makers come in and by giving their gifts declare, this is the king. Why, why, it, it's just mind-boggling to me. They knew that the gift of gold is the gold. This is the gift we should give them because it's a gift of loyalty, of submission, of acknowledgement. This is the person who's worthy of being ruled by. I wrote this down. I could have wrote a whole lot more down, but I just wrote a few. The Magi knew Jesus was a fulfillment of Psalm 2.6. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. 
The Magi knew that Jesus was a fulfillment of Jeremiah 23, 5. For the time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom and he will do what is just and right throughout the land. The Magi knew Jesus was a fulfillment of Psalm 72, 10 through 15. The Western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. The Eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him for help. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will redeem them from oppression and violence, for their lives are precious to him. Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. When you realize you're standing before the king, the only thing that you can do is bow down and worship him. That's it. That's it. And that's what they do. They hit their knees and they worship him and they give him gifts because they realize who it is that they are in front of. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, the savior, the Messiah. They understood this. And so I don't know how you approach this season. I know for some of you, you're not like me. This is a season to survive, not a season to thrive, right? I know a lot of you think for me, this season is just about wearing really crazy suits, which will happen. Uh, onesies already happened, right? And ugly sweaters. I know for some of you, this season is a reminder of the one that's not gonna be with you this season. I know for some of you, it's the reminder of past Christmases that weren't very joyful. For some of you, it's a reminder that still yet your family is broken. But regardless, regardless, this is a season to worship the king. Because just as the diva that was given to us by one of the band members who had no idea what I was preaching on today, said, listen, our circumstances do not change whether he's worthy to be worshiped. The, th the truth is, is that there was a king that was born to you and I that would give his life for you and I so that you and I could celebrate this season. It's not about Christmas trees, lights, Santa. Right? It, what it's about is Jesus and worshiping him in the perfect way that he calls to be worshiped with a perfect gift, which is gold. And so I asked this question, you know, we've had two kids, two kids, Taylor, Emma, they're 12, 10. We had two baby showers. We had more baby showers than two baby showers. But we had two baby showers. We had two first birthdays, cars and princesses, right? We've had two birthdays ever since. You know what's never happened? Nobody's ever given me gold for having the two of them. <laughs> it's never happened. I'm still waiting. Got birthdays coming, right? It's never happened. Why? Because to give gold is an extravagant thing to do. To give gold to a one to two year old, what's a one to two year old gonna do with gold? Put it in his mouth, okay? Like that's what we know he's gonna do, okay? What's he gonna do with that? No, it's so extravagant other than if he is the king of kings. 
other than if he was born a king that is worthy to be worshiped, other than if he is a king that is worth you submitting to and being ruled by. That's the only reason. And so I started to ask myself this question. And I want to ask you this. What are you going, how are you, excuse me, how are you going to extravagantly worship the king this season? I, I was going to ask this question. And I thought, you know what? I probably should answer this question. It took me a week. So take a week. Finally, I was spending time just quiet before the Lord. I shut my Bible, shut my journal, just sat there. <laughs> and the Lord knows me well. He said, this is what I want you to do. That's going to be extravagant. I want you uh, to give up the thing that you love the most about this season. And he didn't even have to say it because I already know what it is. It's food, right? It's food. I mean, December 1st, we celebrated in our household. I don't know how you just celebrated December 1st. I don't know if you celebrate December 1st. We do, okay? We celebrated December 1st by going to the store and buying a bunch of Christmas-themed junk food and having a charcuterie board of junk. Is that how you say it? I don't know how to say it. I've never said it right. Amanda's embarrassed now. All right. Uh, a wood board, all right, of junk for when our kids came home because it was December 1st, right? Like... Food is the thing I love during this season. And so I said, okay, God, that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to fast, and this is not for my glory. One meal a day until Christmas Day so that I can extravagantly spend time worshiping Jesus and not miss out. You know how fast this season is. You know how busy this season is. Not to skip a meal. This isn't skip a meal, okay, where I just don't eat and I do everything I normally do. No, no, it's like the time I take to eat a meal, I'm going to spend reading and worshiping. Maybe I'll spend singing. Maybe I'll spend walking and praying. I don't know why. It'll look different every day. But how, how are you going to extravagantly worship the king? Because you know what? These wise men set out on a journey that was way more than 25 days. To do What? to bring gifts that were extravagant, to worship, that, bring worship that was extravagant, to, to what? To a one to two-year-old who wasn't dubbed a king, who wasn't told he'd become a king, who was born the king, who is worthy to be worshiped. And so again, I ask you, how are you going to extravagantly worship the king this season? Will you join me in doing that? Will you join me in doing that? Let's pray. King Jesus, you deserve, you deserve it all. You deserve it all. All the worship, all the time, all the money, all the praise. And we would just ask that you would help us this season to worship you the way the Magi, the wise men worship you extravagantly. We might not have gold to give, but we have something to give. And so will we just come before you this season, for the days leading up to the celebration of your birth. And will we intentionally worship you extravagantly because you deserve it. Because you were born the King, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And Jesus, we worship you for that today. We love you. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.